Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to this special service for Remembrance Sunday. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina, but we'll also hear the voices of Lizzie and Petri, who will lead the Lord's Prayer in Finnish, Katrina H., who will read scripture for us, and Dr. Beth, who will lead our prayers for others. Our musicians this morning are Paul on keyboard, Neil on trumpet, and Yang Yang on violin. And in a moment or two, Bonnie and her family will be lighting our candle. You may have noticed in our invitation to worship yesterday, uh, there was a request for your help with uh, an advent, an online advent calendar that the Baptist Union of Scotland have asked us uh, to provide. If after the breakout rooms close at the end of this service, you can spare 10 minutes uh, to help us with that, we'd be very grateful, as long as you don't mind appearing on screen. Then at 7pm, our evening reflection will be led by Brian, and this will also be Perspectives on Remembrance. I'm giving rolling notice of a church meeting at which we hope to confirm the in-principle decision we made at our last meeting. And thank you to everyone who's already made a donation via our Just Giving page to our Christian Aid Christmas appeal in lieu of sending Christmas cards. The page will remain open for another two weeks. And please remember to leave your name this time publicly so that I can include it in the December key to show that you're sending your greetings to everyone at Hillhead. Um, I'll send round the link to the Just Giving page again by email just to make sure everybody has it. Next Sunday, Katrina is on leave, so morning worship will be led by our friend Graham Meeklejohn from the Scottish Baptist College. And at 7pm next Sunday, the Reverend Liz Johnston Blythe will lead our evening reflection. But now it's over to Bonnie and her family to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Uh, Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ lights this day. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Um, just to note, I did get a request for audio live transcription, which is why subtitles are appearing at the bottom of the screen. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things so that you, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends.
as is our usual practice here at Hillhead, I will lead us in the um, official words of remembrance, after which we will hold the two-minute silence. And we will have an on-screen PowerPoint on which will appear the names of all those recorded on the war memorials of our church. We are in the presence of God. We commit ourselves to work in penitence and faith for reconciliation between the nations that all people may together live in freedom, justice and peace. We pray for all who in bereavement, disability and pain continue to suffer the consequences of fighting and terror. We remember with thanksgiving and sorrow those whose lives in world wars and conflicts past and present have been given and taken away. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will, we will remember. remember them. Let us pray. God of the past, we approach you, bringing with us all that we have experienced in this past week. The humdrum everyday routines and mundane events and the daily blessings of life itself. The bright moments, 
the sparks of joy, wonder, laughter, love, and all that brings delight. The darker moments, the heavy thoughts, regrets, sadnesses, and anything that brought sorrow. God of the present, in this time of worship, as we remember those who died in past conflicts and reflect on complicated and often confusing matters, help us to have clear minds and tender hearts open to your spirit's direction. God of the future, as we reflect in the here and now, may we find new hope, new courage and new confidence to sustain us as we move forward into a new week, following as best we can in the footsteps of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Isä meidän, joka olet taivaissa, pyhitetty olkoon sinun nimesi. Tulkoon sinun valtakuntasi, tapahtukoon sinun tahtosi, myös maan päällä, niin kuin taivaassa. Anna meille tänä päivänä meidän jokapäiväinen leipämme, ja anna meille meidän syntimme anteeksi, niin kuin mekin anteeksi annamme niille, jotka ovat meitä vastaan rikkoneet. Äläkä saata meitä kiusaukseen, vaan päästä meidät pahasta, sillä sinun on valtakunta, voima ja kunnia, iankaikkisesti. Aamen.
I'm sure most, if not all of us, are very familiar with the red poppies that are sold by the Royal British Legion group of charities, which includes Poppy Scotland. An organisation which seeks to provide support to present and past members of the armed forces and their families. They also provide advice on matters around finance, employment and housing, mobility and increasingly in the area of mental health. Some people choose to wear a red poppy. Some people don't. Many of us are also familiar with the white poppy available from the Peace Pledge Union. This is a secular organisation and a pacifist organisation working in areas of peace building and non-violence. White poppies remember all victims of war, show a commitment to peace and a challenge to attempts to celebrate or to glamorise war. Again, some people choose to wear white poppies and some people don't. Less familiar but growing in popularity are the purple poppies, available from various organisations it seems, but perhaps notably Murphy's Army, which quite clearly distinguishes distinguishes itself from the Royal British Legion, an organisation that seeks to pay tribute to animals lost in service and those who serve today. The funds raised are donated to many causes, ranging from sanctuaries that care for injured or retired service animals, care of injured police dogs, and supplying animal oxygen masks to fire and rescue services for use in civilian situations. But what about the green poppy? I'm going to read you a quote from a satirical website called News Thump that was published in 2018. Have you seen photos of Flanders at the end of the Great War? Beautiful green fields reduced to blackened mud, a literal scorched earth. We're very good at remembering what people do to each other during war, but what about the things we do to the environment? If there are purple poppies to remember the animals who gave their lives in military service, then why not have green ones to honour the plants? Trees and grass do not sign up to fight. They have no vested interest in the outcome of war. They're the forgotten innocence of all military campaigns. Their homes are invaded, their families are killed, and yet people only seem to care about human loss. The spoof seems to me at one level to be unkind, suggesting that somehow by thinking about the impact of war on animals and plants, we diminish the human cost. I think the quote, which is not a genuine quote, it's a quote they created for their website, actually raises important questions, perhaps especially in the light of COP26 and the climate crisis. 
Warfare affects all life, and therefore it affects the welfare of all human life, because our lives are interconnected. As I've pondered this week, the absence of a green poppy, or at least a truth it would represent, is something that calls me at least to repentance. Lord, have mercy. So it would be really easy and frankly quite lazy for me to quote something from a satirical website and say, so that's it. What I actually needed to do was to go and do some active research to find out what is written about the impact of warfare and armed conflict on the earth, which is, after all, the home of those on all sides and is often unrecognised as a victim of what is done. There's all sorts of interesting and useful information out there that's properly researched. I can't tell you all in this service, and I don't want to give you death by PowerPoint with loads and loads of figures and facts, but here are some headlines, and there are some images to go alongside them. Huge amounts of resources are consumed in making vehicles and armaments. Disposal of redundant and obsolete equipment is an important factor to consider. Often it's simply abandoned. Land and sea are used both for training of personnel and testing of armaments. There's a lot of pollution and dumping of toxic waste. Some armed conflicts lead to scorched earth policies and deforestation. Loss of human homes and loss of animal habitats. Particularly affected are gorillas and migratory birds who are forced to change their routes or are killed in flight. Refugees often resort to bushmeat in the absence of other food because hunger is a real important thing that is happening for them. And ivory poaching increases as weapons are seized by those who would hunt and poach. There are land grabs, there are resource grabs. There is danger to indigenous species often as others are brought in intentionally or unintentionally. And fragmented political systems lead to infrastructure collapse such as water supplies and sewers with long-term implications for land and those for whom it is home. 
The websites I looked at also noted that sometimes there are unexpected benefits and it would be wrong not to mention those. Sometimes conflict seems to be a catalyst for development of new technologies and solar energy often is something that is developed in war zones. It is also true to say that demilitarized zones sometimes naturally rewild and can become safe havens for endangered species. Neither of these, though, cancels out the negatives and the questions raised by the things I've already mentioned. It is suggested by some websites that there are opportunities to consider the environmental implications of the actions that are undertaken during conflict. That there are opportunities to consider seriously how to share resource and technology and how to put in place new legal frameworks that will be better for all. So what questions might we ask ourselves or I might I ask myself, irrespective of our views on whether armed conflict or military arming is something that should happen. So how do my choices, my everyday choices, impact the earth? What opportunities are there for me to influence international relations, policies and practices? And again, of what do I, perhaps what do we, need to repent? Lord, have mercy. Our first reading is Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken the ways of your people, O house of Jacob. Indeed, they are full of diviners from the east and of soothsayers like the Philistines, and they clasp hands with foreigners. 
The next reading is from Joel chapter 3, verses 1 to 2 and 9 to 11. For then, in those days and at, and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there, on account of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations. They have divided my land. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare war. Stir up the warriors. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am a warrior. Come quickly, all you nations all around. Gather yourselves here. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Our third reading is from Micah chapter 4. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Three prophets, two of them speak about beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, and one says the exact opposite. So what do we do with that as we reflect a little on the connection between warfare and the environment, between remembrance and a world that is suffering the consequences of climate chaos. If nothing else, these three readings alert us to the danger of lifting verses out of context and simply applying them to suit the situation or the argument that we want to make. 
it isn't good enough and it doesn't honour God if we go to simple, easy, proof-texting approaches that find a verse and say, there you go, that's the answer. At an absolute minimum, this apparent contradiction between the scriptures or within the scriptures reminds us that, that the work of exegesis, which is just posh for working out what it actually says, and the work of homeneutics, which again is posh for working out what it means, both in its original context and in our context, these things are complicated and imprecise and have to be worked out, I guess, afresh for each new generation. So is there anything we can do with these readings that helps us as we reflect today? The scholars seem to agree that Micah, Amos, Hosea and Isaiah, or more probably proto-Isaiah, lived around the same time during the reign of King Isaiah. And it's entirely possible that both Isaiah and Micah are quoting a poem that was around at that time, that was widely known among the people among whom they lived. And it has what we might refer to as an eschatological tone to it, a hope, a vision of what life will look like at the end of time. One of the commentators I read this week compared it to the speech of Martin Luther King. I have a dream. I have a dream, says Isaiah, of a day when there will be no more war, when the weapons of war will be transformed into the tools of agriculture, when people will live in peace. I have a dream that one day all people on earth will live in peace and all creation will be reconciled. By contrast, Joel is talking to people and telling them to do the opposite. He's saying, stop tilling the earth, stop harvesting the grain and make weapons of war. So what on earth do we do with that? It's a problematic reading. It's an uncomfortable reading. But again, I went to the commentators to see what they had to say, because they are the people with big brains and lots of times to ponder these things. And they seem clear that this is very much a time-bound thing. It's a specific point in time, a specific situation affecting the people. And in a world of sin and finitude, sometimes there are not good choices. There are just lesser of two evil choices. And that's not to say that war is okay or that war is the lesser of two evils. It's just a way of approaching this scripture that says sometimes there are not good answers. There are, well, problematic answers. I'm going to leave it there. For me, though, this text serves as a reminder of the danger to all nations and perhaps especially powerful northern and western nations to assume that God is on our side and that the decisions we make are automatically the decisions of which God approves, whether that's to go to war or whether it's to phase down rather than phasing out coal. 
So what do we do with any of this? In a broken and disordered world, where fallible humans make choices that are flawed and sometimes plain old-fashioned sinful, it is a truth, a sad truth, that resources that could be employed for peaceful purposes are appropriated for violent ends. It is a sad and unpalatable truth that wars continue to be justified on religious as well as on political grounds. That ploughs and pruning hooks and their equivalents are made into swords and spears. That fragile infrastructure and vulnerable ecosystems are damaged or destroyed. And yet, and yet we dare to dream of a day when all the weapons are decommissioned and all the materials recycled for peaceful purposes. A day when forests grow and crops flourish. When the oceans are clean and teeming with life. When all people have enough to eat. All life is respected. Nations will no longer assert their superiority or abuse their authority. We have a dream of a renewed and refreshed earth, not just at the end of time, but something we can anticipate in the here and now with the choices we make. It's back again, isn't it, to doing my little thing. That one small difference that I can make. And of course we need the big decisions to be made. Our little bits do still add up. As we dare to dream new dreams and glimpse new visions. As we recall the futility of easy glib answers and continue to ponder the complex interconnectedness of all creation. Surely our heart's cry is simply this. Lord, have mercy. Part of today's prayer is taken from the collection Winter by Ruth Burgess. God, as we reach the end of a fortnight of climate change discussions, prioritizations, activism, we move to Remembrance Sunday. We hold in the light the interconnectedness of the struggles we face as a planet, including climate change and war injustice and poverty, access to resources, grief and hope. 
In the words of Boydor, we cannot build peace on empty stomachs. So let us hold this interconnectedness as we seek to be peacemakers on our planet. BMS asks us today to remember Chad and its workers there. A country in which climate change, war, poverty and food insecurity combine to make today incredibly difficult already. Not just issues discussed at COP26 as issues in the future, but very much now with 90% of Lake Chad gone. We hold that country in the light and pray that you would bless the workers and the work uh, that is being done through BMS there. We hold before you today the coffee club and the friendships and conversations there. Liz and Douglas, Anne and Brian, Paul P and Mary P, Leslie and Alistair, Grace and Will, Nancy, Lizzie and Petri, Ian, Elizabeth and Joanna. We bring before you the Baptist churches of Sanker, Selkirk, Sheddocksley and Shettleston as they seek to be your peacemakers in this world. Loving God, when war comes, be with us and our enemies. Be with those who fight, those who are hurt, those who die, and those whose lives are changed forever. Loving God, be with us in our pain, our questions, our sadness and despair. Hallow our lives with your peace, your justice, and your forgiving love. Amen.
lead us from death to life, from falsehood into truth. And may we keep through all our lives the hopefulness of youth, from dark despair to hope, from fear to trust in God, from hate to love, from war to peace. Keep leading us, dear God. Let peace enfold our hearts. In peace, our souls immerse. And may God's peace pervade the world, then fill the universe. Amen. <laughs>